0: Fantastic. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to the Vineyard. If you don't know who I am, I'm Billy. Uh, It's good to have you here today. Um, Let me start by asking you a question. Why does the church as a whole exist? What's the point of the church? Many people have many answers for that, but I think the real answer is this, and it's that the church exists for God's glory and for God's mission. The church exists for God's glory and for God's mission. In fact, in many ways, the church is the result of God's mission. It's the byproduct of what Jesus did and the Holy Spirit breaking into the world. And so if the church exists for God's glory and if it exists for God's mission, that has an impact on you. It has an impact on me because If you're a follower of Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, however you like to label yourself in our wonderful uh, modern society, Um, it has an impact on you because you are the church. You know, lots of people, when they're moaning and complaining, you know, even us vineyard pastors, when we get together at vineyard conferences, we say things like the vineyard or we say things like the church. And we say these things to separate ourselves a little bit from them so that we can moan and point fingers at other people's problems. But the fact of the matter is there is no the vineyard. If you're in the vineyard, you are the vineyard. There is no the church because you are the church. You singularly are the church. And corporately with other people are the church. You are both the solution and you are both the problem. But that's okay. Okay? That's okay. It's okay to be the problem because we're all problem people. So there we go. Just that, you know, as a by the way, next time you're offended by somebody or somebody really gets under your skin and you're annoyed at somebody because what they do, you know, your problem person at church, if you have one, just remember that you are probably somebody's problem person. So Show a bit of grace. Show a bit of grace. So being part of the church means this, that you should have some sort of idea of what your purpose is in God's mission on earth. You have a part to play. And so, do you have any idea of what that might be? What your purpose as a follower of Jesus is? What you can do to contribute to God's great mission? And so today, we're beginning a series to really begin to turn our minds to asking that question, to answering that question, so to say, as we ask it. So the Bible, of course, is a great source of encouragement to those who are genuinely seeking to live out life with a with a profound sense of God's purpose, the Scriptures are full of examples of men and women of faith whom God has used in His great mission. And the beautiful thing about that is the Bible is probably, out of all ancient documents, if you're into ancient documents, the Bible is probably the most brutally honest one out there. Right? It's just what's and all. It shows all the heroes as pretty much antiheroes, which is kind of popular these days. It's just it reveals them. For who they are. But in spite of this, these individuals were people whom God used for his greater purposes, even with all their flaws and their inadequacies, with their lack of capacities, their lack of faith, and even their lack of compassion and care for other people. In each case, should uh, be a helpful reminder to each one of us that God desires to use all people for his purposes and that he can use even you and me, regular Christians, to accomplish his purposes, and to bring his glory to this earth. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to look at five different characters, and you might find that as we look at their interactions with God and their interactions with Jesus and the people around them, that you and I are a little bit more like these biblical characters than what we expected, than what we initially thought we were. And today, we're going to start with Moses, we'll look a little bit at him. Proverbs 14 verse 12 reminds us that God's direction in our lives must take precedence. And it it says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. And it's, it's this cold, hard statement that gets thrown into Proverbs. And it's basically this, people have great and grand ideas, but if they're at odds with God's ways and God's grand ideas, in the end, it just leads to death. And so the decisions we make in life define us in many respects, and have a profound impact on the lives of the people around us. We make decisions every day. Many of those are mundane and somewhat unimportant in the greater schemes of things. However, there are some decisions that need to be made that relate to important aspects of our lives and important aspects of other people's lives. And faith needs to take a higher priority in our lives if we're followers of Jesus. Because living our God's purpose means that the principle of kind of missional decision-making, if you like, decision-making where we think, hey, how is this going to impact how I treat people? How is this going to impact how other people see God in me should be important in our lives? We want to aim to live in the light of God's glorious mission so that we attract people to Him. As much as um, we can, because sometimes you will represent God well, and people won't be attracted to that, and that's okay as well. So, before I get into our reading today, let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've gathered us here today. We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world, Lord, meeting in, in safety and some meeting in, in real danger. We ask that you'd be with each of them that you'd give them a special sense of your presence this morning. We pray for our own word today. We ask that you would open our hearts to whatever you want to speak to us about, even if it's not in in this sermon today. Lord, I pray for my words that you guide them. Let them be from you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. if you have a Bible, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind us. And. It says this: By faith, Moses's parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead. To his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn in Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. We find in this section of Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews is just talking about these heroes of faith and painting this amazing picture of what they were like. And if you're familiar with the story of Moses, you know, Moses was born at a time when Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt, and they were just growing in number, and Pharaoh was a little bit frightened by this, so he passed this edict that all the male-born babies should be killed. And so Moses' parents have this male-born baby and they hide him because obviously they don't want him to be killed. Even at the risk of their own lives, they decide to try and find a way to restore his life. So they stick him in a little reed basket, if you remember the story, and they put him out on the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter discovers him. What a stroke of luck, you know, or God coincidence, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, she discovers him. She decides she likes this little Hebrew baby, doesn't want to kill him, takes him into the palace, and he basically grows up as a prince. He grows up, he still knows he's a Hebrew by birth, and one day he's walking around and he sees an Egyptian soldier or an Egyptian slave master mistreating some Hebrew slaves. And he gets angry and he kills the guy and he buries him. But word gets out what he's done, so he legs it because Pharaoh wants to kill him. So off he goes into the desert and he's out there for 40 years, gets married, his dad-in-law is a guy called Jethro, and he becomes a shepherd. One day he's minding his own business, he's about 80 years old, Turns around and there's a bush on fire. A little bit weird. Bush isn't burning up. Bush talks to him. Even weirder. Moses like, that's strange. Talking bush. Bush says, Take your shoes off. Moses goes up to Bush. Bush tells him, Go let my go get my people out of Egypt. Moses freaks out. Okay? As you would do if a bush was talking to you. Alright? Makes complete sense to me. Anyway, so Moses freaks out. God says, No, you you're the man, you're gonna go save my people. Moses says, and takes some time and eloquently explains how he's not an eloquent person and can't speak very well. So anyway, long story short, Moses' brother shows up, heads back to Egypt, 10 plagues, Pharaoh has enough, kicks him out of the land. Okay? Long story short, you can catch up in Exodus if you really want to read the rest of the thing. So anyway, so we can learn a bunch of things from Moses. Moses is a a type of character that the Bible celebrates as a great man of faith, but when we actually read his story... The dude's a bit of a disaster Okay That is a good thing It's an encouraging thing Because when you read the story of your life You too can be a great person of faith Even though you're a bit of a disaster So We want to focus on Some of the choices Moses made Sometimes the kingdom choice Is the difficult choice To obey God and to do what he wants you to do Is not always easy And you shouldn't expect it to be easy Okay? We live in an age and a time when we hear lots of people like me standing up in nice, big, fancy churches preaching that if we were just the right type of people, if we were just like Jesus, everything would get easier and everybody would fall in love with Jesus. That's just not what Jesus said. Jesus said, some people are going to love me and others are going to hate me, which means they, some people are going to love you and other people are going to hate you. That's just the way it is. He even said, this life will be tough. And sometimes our life is made tougher because of our decisions. You know, Moses' parents made a decision. They risked their life to save their baby. It makes complete sense. Once Moses grew up, he also had some choices to make. He could embrace the wishes of the culture around him, the wishes of his stepmom, Pharaoh's daughter, the wishes of Pharaoh himself, and become part of Egyptian society. Live it up. Live a life in luxury. Be comfortable. But he had to do that in the knowledge that his own people were suffering at the cost of his luxury. So he had to make a decision. Should he isolate himself and identify with the people of Israel, or should he stay in with the Egyptians and choose the popular route? In the end, as we all know, he chose to identify with the people of Israel. Now, it should be noted that Moses killing the slave master wasn't necessarily a good or wise decision. He didn't have to do that. Okay, we don't celebrate that he did that because he could equally have rebuked that slave master, stopped him from beating those Hebrew servants and gotten involved. And he would still have had to flee Egypt for his life because Pharaoh would have still been annoyed at him because that would have still been a sign of him siding with the Hebrews rather than sticking with the Egyptians. But Moses had a temper problem, right? And so said temper problem resulted in some poor dude being buried. wasn't really a poor dude, he was a mean guy, but still, it was the wrong thing to do. And so sometimes when we're faced with decisions, we have to realise that we have to try and make decisions from a good place. Because if we make decisions out of resentment, bitterness and anger, even though we might be making a stand for the right thing, our actions might actually end up being wrong because rather than doing out of a, a righteous desire or a righteous anger we're doing it out of our own bitterness and rage and then we cause destruction when destruction doesn't need to be caused so the next time you're facing an, a dilemma and you're getting cross about something is your anger righteous or is it coming from a place of baggage is it coming from a place of resentment if so you need to deal with that so that you can make great decisions on God's behalf and not cause destruction in your wake. But the fact of the matter is this, is life circumstances can be somewhat unfair. You know, but our purpose as followers of Jesus require that we choose God's way even if it proves inconvenient. We see this in Moses when he demonstrates this in going back to Egypt. You know, there he is the bush is talking to him, and he has to make this decision. Will he obey and go back to Egypt, which is a bit of a risky thing to do for him, or should he just stay in the desert with the sheep? Right? Because you know, the sheep are annoying. They wander off and get stuck in thorns and stuff like that and fall into ditches. But you know what? A sheep is still easier than a person. Anyway, so he's got to figure that out. So after all these years in the wilderness, he has to decide, will he put God, will he put God's eternal priority above his temporal human comfort. And, you know, this is the cost that we all have to decide in life. Every, every person has to decide that. Are we going to put God's eternal priority above our own personal comfort? Now, often we would say, of course we will. Of course we will. But actually, sometimes it's much more difficult than we think. amazing example is the German church during World War II. Riding up to the German church, riding up to World War II, the German church was just a normal church doing its thing. But Hitler was on his, way, on his way up. He was an incredibly popular leader in Germany at the time. He had taken Germany from being in the squalors of poverty, and he had made them a wealthy country in a period of eight years. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine American Depression? Remember the Depression how bad it was? Can you imagine a president coming in and turning everything around? And within eight years, every family has a car. Right? That is mind-blowing. That's what Hitler did in Germany, and the people loved him for it. He was amazing. Even though he had some wacky ideas, he had some pagan ideas about, you know, Aryan races and all that stuff, they just let it slide. And he came in, and he, he took over the German church. He convinced the German people to turn a blind eye to something. He convinced them to tell him where their Jewish neighbors were. And to let him take the neighbors and put them into slums. And he convinced them that this was actually a good thing, that it was all right. And he walled those slums in and nobody knew what went on there, but everybody knew what went on in there, including the church. And what did the church do? The church did nothing, except for a handful of pastors who formed this thing called the Confessing Church, where they said, no, it's God's way or no way. And people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and all these guys were part of that, and they paid for that with their lives. But by and large, there was a moment of decision, and many people chose comfort. They chose to do what society around them wanted to do. They chose the easy route because nobody wanted the grief of Hitler on their doorstep. And at the time, nobody thought he was a bad guy. They thought he was a hero. He was a national hero at that time. It's only after the war that he was seen as a villain. Sometimes... The right choice is a little bit more complicated than what we think. And so Moses understood that there, there was a risk of going to Egypt. He understood that he was probably taking uh, his life in his hands. He, he had to trust this talking bush to, to, to hold his back, you know, to, to keep an eye on him. But anyway, up he goes, and he decided that God's ways were better than his ways, and he headed back to Egypt with his brother Aaron. And we all know the story. And so well, sometimes we need to take these stories and we need to bring it home. You know, Churches are called to live out and share the gospel. And so how valuable is that to us? How valuable are God's ways, the ways of Jesus to us? What price are we willing to pay in order that God's name is famous and it reaches the nations? Can we be like Dietrich Bonhoeffer that when our nation is going against God's ways, we stick with him? Or we just, we just compromise and head in and do what everybody else wants us to do? What will we do? How important are God's ways to us? I have to ask myself that question all the time, even though I do this for a job. You know, is my comfort more important or is what God wants me to do more important? You know, because there's two ways to lead a church. Make it nice and easy. Or do what God wants you to do whenever you feel led, challenged to do something new. Because you know when you're led, you feel led and challenged to do something new for the Lord, somebody's not going to like it, you know? It might be somebody you really like who doesn't like it. And that's even worse, right? Or you can just, just, just go through the motions and be comfortable and scratch everybody's itches, scratch my back, I scratch yours, everybody's happy, throw a couple of potlucks, bang, we're all good, you know? Even pastors, we have to go through that stuff all the time. Are we going to do it God's way or are we just going to keep everything easy and comfortable? Because we have to understand that choices have consequences. You know, for instance, right now most of us will have issues that we struggle with in our lives. You know, um, issues of faith, issues of whatever. Just as a, And these will all be a direct result of decisions. Decisions that maybe we've made in the past or... Decisions that other people have made that have impacted, had positive or negative impacts on us. You know, maybe, you know, these choices have gotten to a place where you feel like you're just in a a bad place in your faith. Maybe you feel like your life is a little bit out of control because of these decisions. Now, the good news is that even if you find yourself in a bad place, God can help you overcome that situation. This is the beauty of the gospel. He can even bring some good out of that bad place that you've been to that can reflect his goodness and glory, and he can use you to set other people free from that very same thing. Bad choices, thankfully, don't have to define the rest of our lives. But still, we want to make good choices. We want to follow God and make the choices that, that please him and bring glory to him. You know, and so this means that as we live our lives, we need to learn to discern which path to follow. We need to learn to discern what is the good decision and what is the maybe lesser decision, because often that's the way it is. It's not that it's a choice between evil and good. Sometimes it's the choice between the best decision and the, meh, decision. Moses' choice for God's purposes illustrates that we kind of have a, a duty and a responsibility to know what that decision is. To seek and apply God's wisdom to our lives, we need to see the bigger picture of our decisions, and we need to cultivate hearts that are willing to live a life faith in faithful submission to God. Then, and, and that makes those decisions. There's a big chance that our faith may impact generations to come. The way that you and I live out our faith impacts the people that come after us. And so as Christians, we have to have a kind of a longer-term outlook and see obedience in that light rather than for short-term personal benefits. The eternal should always trump the temporal. Choosing to follow in obedience to God should always be the better option to us. Jesus said some scary words. In uh, Luke chapter 12, he goes, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I'll show you whom you should fear fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Lovely, warm, fuzzy words from the Bible. You know, quite a scary thought. But I actually just brought it home as I was writing this sermon. I thought, you know, I don't know about you, but I often wonder if my decisions as a parent, as a, as a follower of Jesus, are providing enough incentive for my own kids to want to follow God one day, you know, especially seeing as I have so many of them. You know, sometimes I do well, and other times I'm a mess, no comments. I just, you know, I think that every time I go to bed at night or every time I lose it with one of my kids, which, you know, happens maybe once a year, But every time I lose it with one of my kids, I'm like, man, was that the right way to deal with that situation? You know, Arwen deserves everything she gets, but the other kids, you know, I feel bad for them, you know? I feel bad for the other ones. But, and so I often think that, you know, but I press on, and often sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I want to do, do this, and I want to have my own thing that day, and, but the family wants to do something else, so I have to think to myself, you know, what's the right decision? What reflects Jesus in my life? better than, say, me being selfish. And I try to press on because at the end of the day, for whatever, for whatever flaws I have, whatever mistakes I make, and I'll make many, I want my kids to grow up seeing me as being an authentic follower of Jesus who made mistakes rather than being a hypocrite who just played the game. You know, Because it's so easy for us just to be hypocrites who play the game. But being authentic and owning our mistakes is a lot lot more challenging because it means seeing ourselves in a lesser light. And so that's when it comes home, making decisions every day to try and be a good follower of Jesus because often it's not about being a great evangelist. It's about being a good parent or a good brother or a good sister, a good son, a good daughter, even to people who might not deserve that. And so there's this challenge for us to continually change, this challenge to be all that God has asked us to be. And so a key aspect of the gospel is this. God invites each one of us to lay down our personal missions of realizing our self-agendas of comfort and prosperity, whatever it might be for you, and to choose to make his mission a priority in our lives, that mission of reconciling the world to himself, of being good representations of Him to others, of, of reflecting His image to all creation, wherever we are in whatever we do. And every single one of us have things in our lives that get in the way of that, you know, whatever that may be. Selfish ideas, or even ideas and beliefs handed down to us that work against God's mission. Some of us believe things that kind of get in the way of what God wants to do in our lives, and we need Him to reveal those things to us. You know, what are these things? What have you inherited from those before you in terms of faith issues? You know, maybe you're slightly legalistic. You know, maybe you just love the rules. Secretly, you just know that if everybody else obeyed the rules, everything would be okay. And you're just like, mm, you know, you want to squash people sometimes. But, you know, you don't say it out loud because that's not like politically correct. But, you know, you just love the rules. You want people to obey the rules. And so when you're at church and you see some person who's kind of, loose and not really living the life Jesus called them to live. You kind of get angry about it, you know? You don't want to encourage them. You want to rebuke them and get up in their face. Or maybe you're on the opposite end of that spectrum. Maybe you, like, have a soft attitude to sin. You're like, oh, I don't care what you do, whatever, you know? Jesus died. We're all forgiven. Just make sure you say sorry before you die, you know? And we're all good. So let's just, you know, forget about the rules and whatever, you know, most of us have those issues and those, those thoughts because we're responding to something, you know, whatever that may be. We're always going to one end or the other because we're people, you know. We, we just, we, we like to figure things out. And so, and it might be something else. It might not be those two things. Maybe you've got, I don't know, some other belief about something that you, just gets in the way and you know it gets in the way of your relationship with God. And, so what is that for you? What gets in the way of just being all that you can be for God and, and having at that life where you reflect his, his glory well? Other questions to consider, you know, what aspects of God's purpose for your life requires your immediate obedience? You know, is God asking you to do something that you just, you've just you been saying no to for a long time? Or are you like Moses in front of the bush? Well, you know, it's quite a good suggestion you have there, God. But I have a couple of issues, you know, Um, whatever your issue may be. You know, my left leg's shorter than my right leg, Lord, so I can't run that fast. So, you know, I walk funny. Maybe someone else should do it. Whatever it is, I don't know. You know, maybe God's asking you to get to know your neighbors. Maybe you're in a street and you don't know any of your neighbors. And you feel like God's saying something to you, you know. Get to know your neighbors. You don't have to go throw your Bible at them, but get to know them. Care about them. You know, maybe the lady across the road needs you to help her with her yard once in a while. Do it because you love me. Who knows what it is? Maybe you just need to be nicer to your neighbors. Maybe you are the bad neighbor, and you need to stop doing that thing that you're doing, you know, like grinding metal at 6 o'clock in the morning in your garage. I don't know. But what is it? What is God asking you to do right now? And are you saying yes to it, or are you resisting it? Are you asking God to send someone else? Most of us are, let's be honest. Most of us are saying, yes God, but if you just you know change some circumstances for me and send somebody ahead of me so that I can just come in and mop it up and make it easy. you know. Or Is there anything in your life that needs to be refused? Is there anything that God's asking you to stop doing? Anything God's asking you to sacrifice so that you can move into other things that uh, he's wanting to lead you into? Maybe you're struggling with a sin. Maybe you've got a heart issue. Maybe you're proud about something. Maybe you've Got resenting somebody about something. Maybe God's asking you to let go of that resentment. Maybe your calendar's just too full, and God's asking you to lay some stuff down and make some time. Time for Him and time to do some other things that He's laid on your heart. And finally, do you consider the reward that waits for you in God's new kingdom? You know, because one day Jesus is going to come back, heaven and earth are going to come together, and God's going to, have this new kingdom on earth and that's when we get the majority of our reward and the reward of being in the presence of God always, the reward of a new work to do, a new earth that is going to be created, new things for us to experience and do and, 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 and get on with because we're not all going to sit on clouds and just sing songs for eternity. I hope you know that because I remember speaking to somebody once and said, I'm, I'm really scared of going to heaven because I like worship, but once we get to 40 minutes, it's, a bit, it's getting a bit rough for me. And I can't I don't know if I can do that forever. I don't know if I want to go to heaven. Well that's not real. We're, we're not gonna just sing and sing and sing and do nothing. It's gonna be a new heaven, a new earth, new relationships, new stuff to do. God is, a, God is a God that's continually creating and working and doing stuff. So who knows what it's gonna be like, but we're not gonna sit around and just gaze at the stars or whatever it is. But that reward that's waiting for us one day, is that sufficient for you? I often ask myself that question. Is that sufficient motivation for me to make sacrifices now for God so that in that future I can really enjoy that reward to its fullness? And that's an issue of perspective, isn't it? Because if we're looking at everything now and we're focused on everything now, that reward seems a little bit distant and a little bit, you know, ungraspable, you know, it's hard to grasp. I'm struggling with my pronunciations today. But it's difficult to see it. It's difficult to make decisions in that light. And so it's a tough one. You know, popularity right now where you are as opposed to doing something that's good and right and what God wants you to do, but probably your popularity stakes might go down a little bit. And like I said earlier, Jesus was liked by some people, but he was hated by others. You know? And so the question is, is are we trying to live a life where everybody likes us? Or are we trying to live a life that just makes a difference? One that we feel like, hey, God wants me to make a difference in this area. I'm going to do that. Some people aren't going to like it, but others are. Whatever that, that might be. Whatever your passion is. Maybe you have a passion for the poor, and that's all you want to talk about, right? And some people who don't have a passion for the poor are like, oh, here we go again. You know, and they don't want to hear you talk about it. And you kind of feel bad about that, but you know, that's okay. God's given you a passion, chase it. You know, just don't you know, judge other people who God's given other passions to. Somebody might have a passion for kids, kids' ministry, whatever it is, you know. Or even you've got a passion about a social issue that's kind of a hot topic right now in society. And you feel like God's asking you to get in amongst that. But you know that half your friends are going to get like really upset with you real quick. If you like, you know, stick your head out, especially in social media. What is it for you? I don't know what it is for you. But either way, we're all created for a purpose. God has a purpose for you. And is that on your radar at all? Are you asking a question, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to fit into your bigger mission of reconciling people to yourself? And so if you haven't even asked the question, I think that's the challenge I want you to walk away with today. Go home today and ask the question, Lord, is there a purpose you have for me? Is there something you want me to do? Is there something you want me to get involved in? Or maybe you know what it is, but you're arguing with the fiery bush. Maybe you're saying, uh, send someone else. Maybe you're in that place of tension, and maybe you need to kind of make just one little step towards what God's asking you to do. Maybe you need to ask God for some courage, for some boldness to step into whatever it is. Maybe you're someone that you just all of a sudden realize that other people's opinions are probably more important to you than anything else. And you need to deal with that in some way. You're like, you realize that if it came down to the crunch, you would do what your friends wanted to you to do rather than what Jesus wanted you to do. And if that's you today... Maybe you need someone to pray for you. Ask, ask God to reveal his love to you in a deeper way so that you can learn to care about God more and love God more so that when, the, when you do need to make a decision, that you would choose his way rather than whatever your friends want you to do. What is it for you today? We're all created with a purpose. And so what do you want your life to be about? You want it to be about you and doing what you want now? Or do you want to have an eternal purpose and an eternal impact? God invites you today to make an eternal impact. Felicity, you want to come on up? And if you're able, would you stand with me as we just move into our time of ministry? So if you're a guest with us today, time of ministry isn't a weird thing. It's just the time that we have at the end of our service just to respond. Um, we're going to sing a song in a minute. You can sing. You can watch other people sing. Uh, this is your time. This is your time to invite God to make himself real to you. This is pretty much what ministry time means. During that time as well, we also have our prayer team. We'll be down here at the rug on the right, and they'll pray for anything. We're a church that believes in healing. So if you're sick in your body and you would like God to, to bring some healing to you and you want to step out in faith that way, come on down. We'll pray for you. Well, our people pray for anything. You want a new job? We'll pray for that. You're struggling with anything in your life? You just want some breakthrough and you want someone to stand with you in that? Come forward and someone will pray for you. The Bible talks about this thing where when we place our hands on one another and pray for each other, God is in that place and he seems to bring his power into that moment. He can do it whenever he wants, but for some odd reason, God wants to work with people through people. We don't know why. It's just his mysterious way of doing things so that's why we have the prayer team. And so you've got some area in your life where you want God's power to break into. Maybe, that's, maybe it's going to happen today when someone just puts their hand on your shoulder and just prays for God to do that thing, whatever it is. So right now I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and make himself real. We're just going to be quiet for a minute. That's your opportunity to just welcome God to your situation, whatever that might be. And just to listen. Holy Spirit, would you come? We know that you're here already. Or would you make yourself real? Bring about the Father's work to us right now in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit.